MSW Media. Thanks to Thrive Cosmetics for supporting the Daily Beans. Get luxury, high-performance cosmetics that highlight your best features. For every purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women thrive. Go to thrivecosmetics.com slash dailybeans for 15% off your first order. And thanks to Athletic Greens for supporting the Daily Beans. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. Today, FOIA court filings show that top Trump Pentagon officials' text messages have been wiped from phones. The Times has emails showing two Arizona Republican lawmakers telling Ken Cheesebro that the fraudulent elector scheme seemed like treason. A federal judge has denied Trump's absolute immunity claims in lawsuits filed by Capitol Police officers. The same judge denies the Oath Keeper's motion to delay their trial. The Department of Justice is suing Idaho over anti-abortion laws under a Republican law called EMTALA. Donald makes a peculiar endorsement in Missouri. The Senate has passed the Veterans Bill for Benefits for Toxins and Burn Pits. And the Republican Attorney General in Arizona announces no voter fraud found in yet another taxpayer-funded 2020 election review. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Well, there was the long intro I was expecting yesterday. (laughs) All the news happened last night and this morning. Later in the show, I'm going to be talking with Major Thomas Schumann, author of Always Faithful, an incredible book. You don't want to miss that. And just now, breaking news, the Senate has passed the PACT Act, and uh, that is the, the, the bill that would give benefits to veterans who were exposed to toxins through burn pits and other means post 9-11, something that John Stewart, former host of The Daily Show, had been working on. They had been outside waiting in the rain protesting with most major veterans groups joining them. A lot of veteran groups that actually back Republicans, by the way, but probably not anymore. The bill is the same one that they didn't pass a couple days ago, the same one that they did pass preliminarily back in June. And so now it is going to be sent to President Biden's desk to be signed into law. I couldn't be happier for my fellow veterans. And for Jon Stewart, thank you for all of your hard work helping push this. Next. Military Justice Improvement Act, please. Let's get that done. We have a lot of news to get to, as you can tell from the intro. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. There's a toss up for lead stories today. There's so many. But back on July 21st and again on July 29th, I asked the same question on Twitter. I said, you know, given the cover up of the missing Secret Service text messages by the seeming complicit Trump appointed Inspector General Kufari, What other agencies where Donald replaced the inspector general wiped their phones of all January 6th communications? I was wondering about the Department of Transportation, the intelligence community, and the Department of Defense. Well, today we have one of the answers. Just as I predicted, the Defense Department wiped the phones of top departing DOD and Army officials at the end of the Trump administration, deleting any text from key witnesses to events surrounding January 6th. The acknowledgement that the phones from the Pentagon officials had been wiped was first revealed in a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit American Oversight brought against the Defense Department and the Army. The watchdog group was seeking January 6th records from former Acting Secretary of Defense Chris Miller, former Chief of Staff Kash Patel, and former Secretary of the Army Ryan McCarthy, among other prominent Pentagon officials. Having filed initial FOIA requests just a few days after the Capitol attack, which, by the way, When you file a FOIA request, you're supposed to preserve documents. You're not supposed to wipe them. Miller, Patel, and McCarthy have all been viewed as crucial witnesses for understanding the government's response to the January 6th Capitol attack and former President Trump's reaction to the breach. All three were involved in the Defense Department's responding to sending National Guard troops to the U.S. Capitol as the riot was unfolding. There is no suggestion that the officials themselves erased the records, but they're gone. The government's assertion in the filings is that the officials' text messages from that day were not preserved. That whole assertion there is the latest blow to the efforts to bring transparency to the events of 1-6. And it comes as the Department of Homeland Security is also under fire for the apparent loss of messages from the Secret Service that day and from DHS officials Chad Wolf 
and Ken Cuccinelli. There's probably more. Miller declined to comment. Patel and McCarthy did not immediately respond to requests for comment. The Defense Department did not immediately respond to CNN's request. This is a CNN exclusive. The U.S. Army Public Affairs Media Relations Chief, Colonel Kathy Wilkinson, said in a statement that it is our policy not to comment on ongoing litigation. The litigation being the lawsuit that American Oversight had to eventually file when their FOIA requests went unanswered. And keep in mind, Chris Miller and Kosh Patel told Hannity on the air that they definitely testified under oath that Donald had asked for at least 10,000 National Guard troops. But we learned that what Miller actually told the committee under oath was that command and that order never came. And we've heard audio of that. We're not making it up. American Oversight is now calling for a cross-agency investigation by the Justice Department to investigate destruction of the materials. And Senator Dick Durbin told Pablo uh, Manriquez about, he was asked, you know, uh, Pablo asked him, do you want to see Kafari fired? That is the Inspector General of the Department of Homeland Security. And Dick Durbin said, there's another way to do it. The Attorney General can step in and appoint a U.S. attorney to take over the investigation. And that's what we hope will happen. Quote, it's just astounding to believe that the agency did not understand the importance of preserving records, particularly with regards, uh, they have regards, not me, but it should be regard. <laughs> Somebody sent in a correction, particularly with regard to the top officials that, that might have captured what they were doing, when they were doing it, why they were doing it on that day. That's Heather Sawyer. That's American Oversight's executive director talking to CNN. She also said her organization learned the records were not preserved from government attorneys earlier this year. And that acknowledgement was then memorialized in a joint status report filed in court in March. Quote, DOD and Army conveyed to plaintiff that when an employee separates from DOD or Army, he or she turns in the government issued phone and the phone is wiped. Unquote. That's what the government said in the filing. For those custodians no longer with the agency, the text messages were not preserved and therefore could not be searched. Although it is possible that particular text messages could have been saved into other records systems, such as email. The acknowledgement that the records were not preserved has taken on new significance in the wake of the ongoing scandal over the loss of the Secret Service text messages, of course. Quote, it just reveals a widespread lack of taking seriously the obligation to preserve records, to ensure accountability, to ensure accountability to their partners in the legislative branch and to the American people. Again, that's Sawyer from American Oversight. The Secret Service has said its texts were lost as a result of a previously scheduled data migration of its agents' cell phones that began on January 27th, 2021, exactly three weeks after the attack on the Capitol. Homeland Security Inspector General Joseph Kufari first learned those text messages were missing as early as May 2021, and in a violation of law, did not tell Congress. The pattern across multiple agencies has prompted her organization to write to Attorney General Merrick Garland, who is already facing a request from congressional Democrats that he take over the DHS's probe into the Secret Service texts that are missing. The American Oversight writes, quote, American Oversight accordingly urges you to investigate DOD's actions in allowing the destruction of records potentially relevant to this significant matter of national attention and historic importance. That's what the letter said while citing calls from Democratic Senator Dick Durbin that the Department of Homeland Security be investigated for similar failures. And that's according to the letter shared with CNN on Tuesday. After filing the FOIA request with the Department of Defense and the Army, American Oversight says the Pentagon acknowledged the request on January 15th. American Oversight then filed a lawsuit in March to force disclosure of the records. In addition to the FOIA obligations, American Oversight says the Pentagon had ignored in failing to preserve the records. Sawyer also pointed out to a separate federal records law that also requires the government preserve records that have informational value of the data in them. Quote, I think it's highly unlikely that anyone could argue with a straight face that communications happening between these top officials on January 6th would not have the type of informational value that the federal records law is meant to reach. That's what Sawyer said. American Oversight is seeking records for several other Pentagon officials, some of whom remain within government service, including General Piot, who I've talked about on multiple occasions. I said, watch out for this guy. He's one of the guys who decided not to call out the National Guard because of optics. Him and who else? Mike Flynn's brother. In that call with McCarthy, during that call. Quote, for those custodians still with the agency, Army has initiated a search for text messages responsive to the FOIA requests and estimates completing their supplemental search by the end of September. That's what the Justice Department said in the July joint filing. 
A spokesperson for the Justice Department declined to comment. A former Defense Department official from a previous administration told CNN it's ingrained into new hires during their onboarding that the work devices were subject to the Presidential Records Act and indicated their communications would be archived. The source said it was assumed when they turned in their devices at the end of their employment, any communication records would be saved. And in a competing lead story, two Arizona Republicans recruited by allies of Trump to join the effort to keep him in office after he lost in 2020 grew so concerned about the plan that they told lawyers working on it that they feared their actions could be seen as treason. And that's according to new emails reviewed by the New York Times. Kelly Ward, the chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party, and Kelly Townsend, a state senator, were both said to have expressed concerns to Mr. Trump's lawyers in December of 2020 about participating in a plan to sign onto a slate of electors claiming that Trump had won Arizona, even though Biden had won the state. Some of the lawyers who undertook the effort doubted its legality, and the emails, which have not been previously reported, were the latest indication that other key players also knew they were on shaky legal ground and took pains to fabricate a rationale that could justify their actions. Kenneth Cheesebro, a lawyer working for Trump's campaign, wrote in a December 11th email, that's 2020, to other members of the legal team that Ms. Ward and Ms. Townsend had raised concerns about casting votes as part of an alternate, quote-unquote, slate of electors because there was no pending legal challenge that could flip the results of Arizona's election. Quote, Warden Townsend are concerned it could appear treasonous for the Arizona electors to vote on Monday if there's no pending court proceeding that might eventually lead to the electors being ratified as the legitimate ones. That's what Mr. Cheesebro wrote to the group of lawyers, which included Rudy Giuliani. Cheesebro wrote the word treasonous in bold, and continued, and she has a valid point. Miss Ward, who pushed for the elector plan to be kept secret, by the way, ultimately joined the effort and signed the document that purported to be a certificate of the votes of the 2020 electors from Arizona and claimed that Trump had won the state's electoral college votes. One person working on the plan, the Arizona-based lawyer Jack Willencheck, who we talked about a couple days ago, conceded in his emails the Electoral College votes the campaign was working to organize aren't legal under federal law and repeatedly referred to them as fake. Now, in a later email, Willinchek said the rush to file the papers with the Supreme Court was to give legal cover for the electors in Arizona to vote on December 14th, the day the Electoral College was slated to gather and cast votes. Ms. Townsend ultimately did not sign the documents claiming Trump had won the state. Both Ward and Townsend have, we know, received subpoenas from the Justice Department asking questions about the fraudulent elector plan and demanding documents detailing communications with Trump's legal team. In a follow-up email, Cheesebro wrote that he no longer saw cause for concern because a legal action some of the group planned to file was at the printer and that the Supreme Court considers an action docketed whenever it's mailed. He wrote that it would be in the mail by the time the Electoral College met. Department of Justice subpoena specifically mentioned the mail, by the way, which makes me think they're looking at mail fraud charges, among other things. So we'll see how that turns out. Just a little bit of light treason. And from law and crime, a federal judge in D.C. refused to dismiss three lawsuits brought by four U.S. Capitol Police officers against Trump over the injuries they sustained on January 6th. This is U.S. District Judge Amit Mehta. He issued a brief two-page order, which mostly cited a previous ruling to reject Trump's claims of absolute immunity in lawsuits by Marcus J. Moore, Bobby Tabrone, and Devine K. Carter, and Brianna Kirkland. In these three matters, the judge said, four U.S. Capitol Police officers have sued former President Trump for damages arising from injuries they sustained during the events of January 6th at the U.S. Capitol building. Plaintiffs' allegations and claims are largely the same as those advanced by the U.S. Capitol Police plaintiffs in Blasingame v. Trump. Meta, a Barack Obama appointee, then referred back to his ruling in Blasingame when he declined to toss Moore v. Trump to Brown v. Trump and Kirkland v. Trump. Quote, in nearly identical worded motions, President Trump has moved to dismiss all three actions on one ground that he's absolutely immune from suit because the acts complained of fall within the outer perimeter of his presidential responsibilities. Uh, the court already rejected President Trump's assertion of immunity in blasting game. The court does so again. And as if Ahmet Mehta wasn't busy enough, he refused and denied the motion from the Oath Keepers to delay their trial to next year. Five of the 11 defendants in the case, including the leader, Stuart Rhodes, will go on trial September 26th, 
Four others are scheduled for trial on November 29th, while two defendants have agreed to plead guilty and cooperate with prosecutors. So, nope, you can't delay your trial. And Attorney General Merrick Garland today announced the Justice Department has filed a lawsuit against the state of Idaho, challenging its law that will take effect next month that would make it a felony to perform an abortion in all but extremely narrow circumstances. Garland said the law violates the Federal Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, that's EMTALA, which states hospitals that receive Medicare funds are required to provide necessary treatments to patients who arrive at their emergency rooms while experiencing a medical emergency. And the beauty of it is EMTALA was written by Republicans. That medical care, according to Garland and the Department of Justice, could include providing an abortion. Quote, the suit seeks to hold invalid the state's criminal prohibition on providing abortions as applied to women who are suffering medical emergencies. And this was Garland in a press conference at the DOJ today. As detailed in our complaint, Idaho law would make it a criminal offense for doctors to provide emergency medical treatment that federal law requires. Garland said that while the law provides an exception in order to prevent the death of a pregnant woman, quote, it includes no exception for cases in which the abortion is necessary to prevent serious jeopardy to the woman's health, unquote. Quote, moreover, it would subject doctors to arrest and criminal prosecution even if they perform an abortion to save a woman's life, Garland said. And that would then place the burden on the doctors that they are not criminally liable. Garland used his press conference to put on notice other states who he says have passed restrictions on reproductive health care that similarly run afoul of federal law in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe. He says, quote, We will use every tool at our disposal to ensure that pregnant women get the emergency medical treatment to which they are entitled under federal law, and we will closely scrutinize state abortion laws to ensure they comply with federal law. The lawsuit that Garland filed asks a judge to declare the Idaho law invalid under the Constitution's Supremacy Clause and is preempted by federal law to the extent that it conflicts with EMTALA. Also in the news today, Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich, a Republican, an old Trump fan, told Senate President Karen Fan in a letter Monday that his office had closed its criminal investigation into allegations of widespread instances of dead people voting in the 2020 election. Burnovich and his office had been investigating numerous assertions of dead voters during the election, including some handed over to the state prosecutors last September after the Florida-based firm Cyber Ninjas completed its review of 2.1 million ballots in Maricopa County. Karen Fan and members of the GOP-controlled Senate launched the ballot review after President Trump narrowly lost. Narrowly. <laughs> Burnovich's office spent months examining allegations that 282 people who were dead before October 5, 2020 voted on November 3rd. And his letter said only one was deceased. Quote, after spending hundreds of hours reviewing these allegations, our investigators were able to determine that only one of the 282 individuals on the list was deceased at the time of the election. The others were alive and were determined to be current voters. Our agents investigated all individuals that cyber ninjas reported as dead, and many were very surprised to learn they were allegedly deceased. Bernovich wrote, Spokespeople for Cyber Ninjas and Fan didn't immediately respond to the absolutely embarrassing fucking shit show that is their life. Bernovich wrote that his election integrity unit also received reports of hundreds more dead voters from other sources. A separate report submitted to the attorney general's office did not distinguish between dead voters and dead registrants. Once again, he said, these claims were thoroughly investigated and resulted in only a handful of potential cases. Some were so absurd, the names and birthdays didn't even match the deceased, and others included dates of death after the election. Though he supported the state's Senate's authority to conduct the ballot review, the allegations of widespread deceased voters from the Senate audit and other complaints were insufficient and not corroborated. Bernovich's letter comes a day before Arizona's primary election, which is today, where he is vying for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate. Trump, who didn't endorse him, has blasted him for not doing enough to get to the bottom of his unfounded allegations of widespread fraud. Hmm, sounds familiar. And in uh, a segment I like to call Heads I Win, Tails You Lose, the Republicans competing for the U.S. Senate nomination in today's primary in Missouri spent their final day campaigning in a familiar state of suspense, checking their phones for a statement from Trump. But by day's end, the former president injected more chaos into the already tumultuous race, simply endorsing Eric, a first name shared by two, actually three rival candidates, former Governor Eric Greitens and State Attorney General Eric Schmidt. 
and he suggested he was leaving it to voters to choose between them. There is a big election in the great state of Missouri, and we must send a MAGA champion and true warrior to the Senate, someone who will fight for border security, election integrity, our military, our great veterans. Oh, please. Together, we're having a very powerful toughness on crime and the border. I trust the great people of Missouri on this one to make up your own minds, much as they did when they gave me a landslide victories in 2016 and 2020. I'm therefore proud to announce that Eric has my complete and total endorsement. At his final pre-election rally in St. Louis headquarters, Eric Schmidt told supporters that he had been endorsed by Trump and that he thanked Trump on a call when he got the news. And on Twitter, before his final rally at an airport near the state's largest city, Greitens, too, said he thanked Trump over the phone. What a couple of schlubs. Just how embarrassing. Okay, whatever, Mr. Trump, we love you. Oh, thanks. And breaking just now. New York Attorney General Letitia James will get Donald and Ivanka's depositions later this month in her wide-ranging investigation into the Trump organization's overvaluing and undervaluing of assets. And she got Junior's deposition this past week. Eric's she got a long time ago. The depositions had been delayed because they had to bury Ivana on a golf course for a tax break. From Dana Milbank at The Post, in his forced and he hopes temporary retirement, defeated former President Donald Trump has come up with a new undertaking. He's undertaking. Technically, his Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey, is now acting as a cemetery company. Suggested slogan, people are dying to get into Bedminster. And he has already landed his first occupant. He just buried his late ex-wife, Ivana Trump, right near the first tee. This is in the Washington Post, you guys. He has seemingly turned his late ex-wife and his oldest kids have turned their late mother into a tax dodge. Dartmouth professor Brooke Harrington, a specialist in tax optimization, checked the New Jersey tax code and reported that operating a cemetery at the Trump National Golf Course offers a trifecta of tax avoidance, property, income, and sales tax, all eliminated. She tweeted that it looks like one corpse will suffice to make at least three forms of tax vanish. Gross. And I thought, I think she was cremated. I don't even think she's buried there. This is so gross. All right. I'll be back with Major Thomas Schumann. We're going to discuss his new book, Always Faithful. You do not want to miss this story. It's incredible. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, let's talk about something I use literally every morning. I started taking Athletic Greens a while ago because I hated taking... 8 million different pills and vitamins and supplements and superfoods. I wanted one supplement that had it all to save me time and money that actually tasted great. And I found it in AG1. With one delicious scoop of AG1 by Athletic Greens, you get 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health and nervous system. It helps your immune system, which is so important right now with the BA5 COVID variant out there. It supports your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Everything. It covers everything. And we want to thank Athletic Greens for their support. And they're offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. I take AG1 in the morning. Every morning, it starts my day off right. It's delicious. It supports mental clarity and alertness. It helps improving with my sleep. I sleep much better now. I have a faster recovery time after a workout, and it tastes delicious. I love it so much. My gut health has improved. It's incredible. The labs I got last time when I went to get labs at the doctor, they're perfect. They're amazing. It's perfect. I'm a tremendous health. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry I had to do that. But my doctor is not Ronnie Jackson. But the other cool thing about Athletic Greens is they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry right here in the United States. And right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every morning. That's it. You can do it at night too if you want. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, like I said, Athletic Greens is going to give you that free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Many of you will remember, and I know this because a lot of listeners to this program also watch Rachel Maddow. 
And you might remember last August on Matto, the story of a Marine and the harrowing rescue of his interpreter, Zach, from Afghanistan, despite red tape, U.S. bureaucracy, the Taliban. Well, he and Zach have written a book due out August 9th. It's called Always Faithful, A Story of the War in Afghanistan, The Fall of Kabul, and the Unshakable Bond Between a Marine and an Interpreter. Please welcome Major Thomas Schumann to the show. Thanks for speaking with me today. Hey, thanks for having me. So absolutely incredible book. And before we dive into it, I want to talk about you and your service. First of all, thank you for your service. You're actually an, an unlikely Marine. And I think that a lot of people will relate to that. A lot of the stories that we tell, we're looking for things that other people can grab onto. And I think there's a lot of unlikely people in the professions that they're in right now that can really relate to your story, me included. Can you talk a little bit about what got you into the core in the first place and, and what, what drew you to it? Sure. I definitely wasn't a kid that was playing with G.I. Joes growing up. I wasn't watching, you know, war movies. I didn't have some rich family history of service. Uh, at the time that I decided to serve, I honestly don't think I could have told you what the four branches of service were. Simply put, I was sitting in a classroom and some planes hit the towers. And uh, on that day, at the conclusion of that day, uh, it was the end of the age of innocence and ignorance for me, really. And it was that there are people in the world who would like to do us harm. And somebody has to do something about those people. And I thought, you you should be somebody that does something about it. And so that was my first inclination towards service. I think through my mom's continued uh, sacrifice, I felt that uh, it's something pretty special that this single mom could work really hard and provide opportunities for her children that she had never dreamed of herself. I don't think that is something that's guaranteed everywhere. And I felt like you should pay into that thing. You should contribute to that thing. And, and so a uh, an aspect of civic duty through my mom's service and then uh, a little bit of, of 9-11 kind of led me to deciding to serve. Now, I, again, I didn't know what Marine Corps, Navy. I, my my grandma was a big Tom Cruise fan, and and uh, you know you can't handle the truth. What uh, was uh, a few good men? That was I wanted to be a lawyer. I went to these nerd camps at Stanford and Yale uh, while I was in high school to study constitutional law. And I thought, well, maybe I could be the the lawyer here. My mom was very resistant against any type of service, but she acquiesced that maybe okay, you could go be a Navy JAG. But within the first week of my little boot camp training, I said, I don't really think I want to be in the Navy. I like what these other guys are doing over here. And that's kind of my first step towards the Marine Corps. And it was a lot of self-discovery over the next year, but a uh, year's period. But yeah, that's kind of how I ended up in the service. Yeah. And talk a little bit about Zach. This is your interpreter and uh, co-author here on this book. First of all, tell us what an interpreter does and tell us what set him apart from other interpreters working with the troops. Sure. The, the, their specific duty is to translate. So if you, if you had to just boil it down to, to one thing, what does an interpreter do? They, they translate English to, in this case, Pashto. I spent 17 months in Afghanistan. I, I worked with you know, over a dozen interpreters. Most of them do just that. They'll translate. Some of them better than others. Some of their English is better than others. Some of their native dialects may not be Pashto. They may be Dari speaker. And so there's varying degrees of success in terms of the, the, the actual translating. But just about all of them are not interested in the fighting. And that's okay. That's not what we ask them to do. They're, they're fulfilling and providing an enabling service and an important one. And, and so Zach, though, really right from the start, I think was different in that he clearly was motivated well beyond just the transactional relationship of being a translator, but that he was there to fight and serve his country. And, and, and the medium for that was to be an interpreter. And, uh, and, so, and so when the Taliban was going to initiate an ambush on us and he could, and he was listening to them on the radio, he sprints through a minefield. He tackles the guy who's going to initiate the ambush. When 
when one of my Marines is injured and we're still under fire, he picks up the rifle and, and holds. All, all these things uh, that were very much an anomaly and, and over a dozen interpreters I've worked with, that, that was Zach. And, and so he went from someone who kind of worked for my platoon to, to being an absolute member of the platoon. And even for just basic transactional translators, there's supposed to be a system in place to to grant uh, citizenship, bring them over back to the United States to be safe, because obviously having worked with the United States military makes them a huge target. But that system failed here, didn't it? Yeah, certainly, you know, any service with the Afghan government and more specifically with the U.S., you become, like you, you said, a target, you, you, you face persecution. And so to incentivize those services, the, the United States came up with a thing called the Special Immigration Visa Program that said, if you spend 12 months as an ally with the U.S., we will provide you a visa. Pretty clear, like black and white, one, one year of service to the U.S., visa. You would you would think you would think now you you and I've both been in the military we've both worked with the government and it's about as clear as mud when when it comes down to it. Uh, affirmative, that is correct. And, and and so you know we this 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 was in theory a great program to, to support our allies uh, from the beginning of my experience Zach's experience with the program. Uh, it was it was never functional. And we started an application in 2016. And for five years, we did appeals and sent letters. And uh, despite a significant amount of effort, we made 0% traction in Zach's visa case. And, and the system actually never worked. You know, the, 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 what, what was ironic is that when we were able to get Zach out of Kabul as it collapsed last year, thousands of people started to message me because I was the guy that got somebody out as if I was like the success. And I, what I tried to tell people is like, this, this was just a chance encounter here. Like I, this, this cannot be replicated what just happened. And I'm not, this is really a spectacular failure that, that, that they're almost died that all, all of this is just a, it's a record of failure for this program from our experience with this program. Uh, and, and to this day, you know, Zach does not have a beat. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because uh, seriously, like 62 different almost impossible things had to go right in order to to get Zach out. And you were able to get Zach out. Talk a little bit about that and um, how it relates to the title of your book. Because I know that the motto of the Marine Corps is Semper Fidelis, Semper Fi, which means always faithful, which is the title of your book. And I think that that plays heavily into your dedication to this seemingly impossible task uh, of getting your your translator out. And then also, you just said he still to this day doesn't have his visa despite a program being set up to do just that for him. Yeah. So when the when when the president made the announcement that uh, it was in April of 21, that all troops would be out by the end of the summer, I asked Zach, hey, what, what does that mean to you? He said, it would mean that my family and I are killed. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to get to work. So I started a little guerrilla media campaign, uh, reaching out to the different folks. I just did a one minute video on Instagram, really. that said, Hey, here's my, here's the circumstances. Here's my interpreter. Can anybody help? And there's a lot of great people who wanted to help, who attempted to help bipartisan, both sides of the party, congressmen, senators, uh, attorneys, high ranking DOD officials, you name it. Uh, we were on everything from the cover of the New York Times, the, the daily podcast to like Newsmax, you know, the, the whole gamut kind of uh, reaching out that wanted to. But despite the immense amount of support, it didn't actually move Zach's application 1%. And, and so when I when I talked to a friend who was working the evacuation, he, he was initially a Marine that he uh, did an inner service transfer to the Air Force. I said, hey, um, what's going to happen to our interpreter? Are they going to get a call? I'm going to go get them. He said, if they're not at the gate at the airport, they're not getting out. So I told Zach, I said, hey, you need to leave your province in the car, get your family to Kabul and get to the airport. And so just that was a heroin journey. Um, and then I knew some Marines who were working the security perimeter around the airport. And so 
our first attempt to get Zach out, my buddy was at the gate. He said, okay, send him. And as Zach arrived, that's when the airport perimeter collapsed. And so everyone will remember those images of the, the tarmac being flooded and people jumping off the planes and all that. that that's, that's when Zach arrived the first time. Just being part of that entire chaos was very traumatic for him, his children. And by the way, so Zach's doing all this with four kids that are under five years old and his wife. And so uh, we try again. You know, my buddy says, I'm out on security today. Send them to the perimeter. Same thing, kind of just Zach driving. The, 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 the walls start to get breached. They close everything up. The, the Taliban and the Marines are shooting back and forth. Uh, Zach's children see people killed by a machine gun right next to them. At that point, his wife, Diwa, the children don't want to go back to the airport. They're, uh, they're pretty much over it. And it took a third attempt where we thought it was an army major. She, she said, hey, go to this, have them go to this gate. I know there's a, a password and a challenge and, the, and, and the, it's worked for me today. Like have them go to this gate. And so she kind of sent me the coordinates for that. It took a lot of convincing and cajoling to kind of get Zach and them out to, to that uh, gate again. And then as they had tried to get to that gate, there was a Taliban checkpoint blocking it. They couldn't reach the gate. And uh, I had to call a buddy and say, hey, I got a friend. Uh, my buddy, who is now a pilot for the Air Force, was in the operations center. I said, I need you to do me a favor. He's like, I'm not authorized. I can't do it. I said, we got to keep this promise. And, and so always faithful is, is, is really, for me, Zach, maintain his end of the bargain you know he he was always faithful to his duties his responsibilities and we as a nation i felt uh had an obligation and a duty to fulfill our part of that promise and so it, it's it's really i can always talk about this it's this it's it's the semper and the fidelis it's the always and the faithful because it's really easy to be faithful most of the time when it's sunny out when the conditions are good when you're up it's easy to be faithful. It's 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 the testament or the character uh, of someone is is to be faithful in those times of trials and adversity, and and when everything else and the odds are against you, and you're still faithful. That's what that's what the semper is. That's what the always part is. And 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 I felt that it can't just be these words that we say. It has to be something that we actually live and do. So, mm, yeah, and I know that the. Um... United States Congress is is these past few weeks having a hard time holding up their part of the bargain with veterans with regards to not passing the PACT Act. I've, we've we've see this in action all the time, the red tape trying to get these guys home or to the United States. It it just shouldn't be such a huge battle. It really shouldn't. And now you're saying he still doesn't have his visa. Is that correct? His visa was denied again in March, and he's on his final appeal. Did they give a reason? It's still uh, an HR letter discrepancy. Uh, even though we we've now supplemented the HR letter, we we found the contracting company that kind of vanished. We were able to finally track somebody down, and, and they wrote another year's worth of verified service. And so we we felt like with that supplementation that we had a pretty good package together. Uh, they still denied it, and so we filed our final appeal, and we'll find out what happened. Is there anything people listening to this program can do to help get that visa secured? I, I mean, the the entire time, the 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 only thing that I can think is that we 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 have to just talk to our representatives and say we if we're not a nation who keeps our promises, uh, we're doomed. And whenever the next conflict is we're going to need it's a national security threat we're not going to be able to recruit people that if we don't keep our promises to to folks who serve in the military it's you're absolutely right it's it's uh it's dangerous it, uh, the, what it portends for for our national security for our voluntary force i think right for our voluntary force and for our allies because if you're fighting in a place like the south china sea or uh in eastern europe you're going to need to do it uh, with allies, and if and if we don't keep our word to our allies, and if we abandon our allies, you you can't do these things alone. And so, uh, I would just encourage citizens who are engaged in care is to say, hey, what are we doing to keep our promises? And do you think I, I prop? I I doubt it, but do you think the fact that the United States was able to take out Al Zawahiri this weekend 
will have any sort of impact on on any of this process. I mean, they seem so they're they're tied together, but so separate. I don't think that the danger has passed, nor do I think the danger will pass anytime soon for these interpreters and assist, you know, people who assisted troops back in Afghanistan. I don't think the danger will pass for them, even if we take out top Al Qaeda leaders, which is great that we take out top Al Qaeda leaders. But I, you know, there's there's still the Taliban still. Yeah, it's it's good that the people who plan 9-11 continue to uh, have retribution and justice against them. Uh, that's good. That that hopefully sends an important message to anybody considering doing that kind of stuff. That we have a long memory. It's it's also you know to me, I'm a war weary guy. You know I don't celebrate more people dying as well. And so I'm I'm, I'm happy that guy got what he deserved. Uh, but I I'd be happy in a and just a much more peaceful. Um, world altogether. But uh, I, I think undoubtedly people, interpreters and people who served with the U.S. right now, today, this minute, are still being persecuted by the Taliban. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody call your reps. Make sure Zach can get his visa approved. If that's something that um, they're willing to listen to, we can at least make the calls and write the letters and put the word out on social media. And then also everybody Pick up your copy of Always Faithful, a story of the war in Afghanistan, the fall of Kabul, and the unshakable bond between a Marine and an interpreter. It's available now for pre-order wherever you get your books, and it will come out to the public on August 9th. Major, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. I recently discovered Thrive Cosmetics, my new favorite brand for high-performance beauty and skincare products made with clean, skin-loving ingredients. I was referred by all my friends who are on camera. They're like, you must get Thrive. It's so incredible. Eye brightening, um, it, it blending, beautiful like lip gloss, and their incredible mascara. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. But there's a lot to love about Thrive. They use no parabens, no sulfates, or phthalates, and they're certified 100% vegan and 100% cruelty-free. And it's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E. And the cause is in the name for a reason, because every purchase supports over 300 organizations that help women and their communities thrive, including women's shelters, the American Red Cross, breast cancer retreats, just incredible, incredible goodwill that this company has. Plus, their product is amazing. I love their liquid lash extension mascara. As I was telling you about, it lasts all day. It doesn't clump, no smudging, no flaking. It mimics the look of real lashes. It's simple to remove. It just slides right off with this warm uh, soap and water so you don't you have the, you know, the running mascara. It's incredible. They also have amazing liquid lip balm treatment, which is beautiful. It's a leave-on lip serum that nourishes and moisturizes and restores my lips while giving them a smooth, glossy look. It replenishes moisture with a proactive veil of skin-nourishing vitamins and juicy, juicy hydration, which looks great. I use them both all the time. And now is the time to try Thrive Cosmetics for yourself. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order. Just visit thrivecosmetics.com slash dailybeans. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, thrivecosmetics.com slash dailybeans for 15% off your first order. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everyone. It's A.G. from Muller She Wrote and the Daily Beans. And Steve Pearson from the How We Win podcast. We're bringing together some of our besties for a live super pod to raise money for the How We Win Fund and elect Democrats in November. Featuring us, of course. The hilarious Frangela duo. Ben and Brett Mazelis from the Midas Touch podcast. And the one and only Kathy Griffin. Join us on Monday, August 22nd at Largo in Los Angeles. Go to HowWeWinLive.com and get your tickets now. That's HowWeWinLive.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, stuff that you're making, you want to give your small business a shout out, you want to give somebody else's small business in your town a shout out, Whatever you want to send in to us, including Halloween photos, which I accept all year and everyone should. And of course, pod pet pics or 
adoptable pets in your area. Send them to dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact and we'll get to them. And also, I just want to announce, we have an incredible, like, super pod, amazing live event called How We Win Live. And it's going to feature myself and we're going to have Frangela there. We're also going to have uh, Midas Touch guys are going to be there. Uh, We're going to talk daily news and then we're going to have Kathy Griffin come out and have a discussion about the midterm elections. And every dime, 100% of the funds from ticket purchases go to help Democratic candidates in districts that need it the most, right? Because how we win has done all the math for us and they know how to get the most value out of your dollar donated to Democratic candidates. You can go and get your tickets at howwewinlive.com. And that's going to be on August 22nd, live at Largo in Los Angeles. All right, first up from Jules from DC, pronoun she and her. Hello, lovely ladies of the beans. I have several excellent pet stories to send your way, but I need time to write them up. For now, I have to get this adorable pet in front of your listeners and viewers, as she is such a lovely girl. My roommate and I met Blossom on her jaunt of freedom the other day. See, I live near the Humane Rescue Alliance in D.C., and this girl decided a short walk wasn't going to do it and cue the chariots of fire music. She got away from her handlers and tried to break the dog speed record for a mile-long run. My neighborhood is amazing, and many of our neighbors came out to walk the streets trying to find her. They caught up with her before she got on the metro (laughs) a mile away. She may have broken a record for fastest mile by a dog. She was very pleased with herself and only slightly tired as she gave us plenty of kisses on the way back home. Obviously, if you like long hikes and sweet, sweet floof puppies to share them with, this is your girl. Update. Blossom has been adopted, but check for adoptable pets in your area. Adopt.adopets.com. We'll put the link in the description so you know exactly where to go. Look at this baby girl. Yeah, she looks pretty fast. She looks really fast. (laughs) She looks like part greyhound, but she's like a, a... Golden Retriever with Shepherd. What a cool mix. She's so cute. I'm glad she got adopted, found her home. That's amazing. Thanks for doing that. Next up from Deborah Pronoun, she and her. Recently, my partner and I were able to road trip north and visit one of our sons. He lives in the Pacific Northwest, off the grid, and on a homestead. Oh, very cool. There are various animals living the life at various times. Piggies, hens, goats, dogs, cats. But two of the favorites are always around. Sassafras protects the property from predators. And Snow Day is willing to keep the mice and rat population on their toes. Here's a photo of the dog Sassafras and the two of them together doing what they mutually love, napping. Thank you so much for grounding me out through these rough and tumble times. Love the beans. Deborah, look at this dog on top of the picnic table because that's where you, that's where you hang out. Uh, and there's a, okay. So there's this gray and white tabby resting chin on the dog's snout as they cuddle and nap together. Oh, that's adorable. Thank you for the homestead animals, Deborah. I appreciate. Next up from Allie S. For pet tax, I include my daddy dog, Donegal, named for the Irish village, and his daughter, Carolyn, named for my late partner. Mama Caledon from Caledonia and son Peabody have passed, but I rejoice in remain in my, my remaining pack. Donegal is a talker with lots of strongly held opinions. Carolyn is a dainty white stripe now hidden by the gray on her head and a curly girly fur. She is indisputably in charge. <laughs> she is the epitome of girl's rule. Thank you for keeping us informed. Love the swearing. Some days it's just fucking essential. It is it's fucking essential. <laughs> For anybody new to the beans, that was what we decided to call Michael Cohen's slush fund back in the day when he was selling access to Trump uh, essential consulting. And we said that the uh, the tagline was, it's fucking essential. Keep up the good work. Love you both. And Pete's a joy as well. Oh, thanks. I'll, I'll let Pete know that you liked him filling in there for a minute. Look at this baby dog. Oh, my gosh. So cute. <laughs> Thank you so much for sending this in. These are great photos. Next up from Anonymous, pronoun she and her. Hi, Beans Queens. I was listening to the good news submissions this morning and heard you say that maybe there was an underground resistors in red states. It's true. We have a group in our area of South Carolina called FMLR, or Town Redacted Liberal Resistorhood. It's a great group that helps people vent and find ways to help. So yeah, we're out here getting shit done. Awesome. For pet tax, here's a picture of my Rosie, a quirky little Jack Russell mix. Yeah, look at her. <laughs> she looks like 
this look on her face, it's like half guilt, half pet me. That's adorable. I love Jack Russells. They're so cute. Next up from anonymous pronoun she and her. My good news is that we're enjoying a foggy summer up here uh, on the coast in Northern California. Our tomatoes aren't ripening, but the days are fairly cool. The fog is so thick at night that the ground's wet in the morning. Sometimes there's even puddles. When I read the news of heat waves and fires in other places, I feel fear. But I'm also even more grateful for this life-saving fog. Sometimes tot burns off during the day, as it did the day I took this photo. But then the fog returns by evening. Here it is coming over the ridge. Is this Carl? For more good news, the tomatoes might not be ripening as quickly as they did in past summers, but lots of native plants are reveling in the fog. Here's seaside buckwheat, a pollinator powerhouse looking pretty with some beech wormwood. I'm a park volunteer, and I weed European sea rocket and ice plant to maintain the diversity of this habitat. There are so many tragic things happening in the world. Weeding is a wonderful remedy for hopelessness, and its rewards are immediate and visible. Thank you for everything you do, for explaining the news, for laughing and swearing, for being amazing role models, for making us all feel a little less alone. I only recently started listening to your podcast, but I now look forward to listening every weekday morning. Thank you. What a, a cool fucking job you have, first of all. And I've always talked about weeding, gardens, just being so zen. Um, oh, these are beautiful photos. Look at the sky. There comes the fog. Here comes Carl. Well, I don't know if it's called Carl up where you are. I think you said taut. I'm not sure if that's a typo or if that's what its name is, but it's beautiful either way. Thank you for sharing. And um, everyone, thank you for sharing everything that you've sent in today. I really appreciate it. I'll be back tomorrow with the beans in your ears. Don't forget, you can get your tickets to August 22nd with myself, Midas Touch, Frangela, and of course, Steve Pearson from the How We Win podcast. We're all going to be talking about the news and raising money. Every single dollar from ticket sales and donations goes to the candidates that need it most to win Dem seats and keep the Senate and the House and local races, too. So you can get your tickets at HowWeWinLive.com. We'll be at Largo in Los Angeles, August 22nd. I look forward to it. And again, like I said, I'll be back tomorrow. Who knows what the news is going to look like tomorrow? Who knows what else, whether, who else was going to find that wiped their text messages away? Maybe the Department of Justice will start investigating. Maybe we'll get a special counsel. I've been wanting that for over a year. That would be cool. Uh, whatever the news is, I'll let you know. And um, until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health and vote blue over Q. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>